ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. Welcome back to another episode of Bad Jew, the place where there is no such thing as a bad Jew. It is, and the, the se- we're going into the second week now of the conflict happening in Israel. And these, in these unprecedented times, we're still processing the shock. We're still in the fog of war of uh, what Hamas did. And we are currently, if you are here in the domestic front in America or abroad outside of Israel, You are probably being showered with tons of misinformation across social media. It's, it's, it's a difficult time. It's a difficult time, especially with all the trolls that are out there. Fellow amazing person, someone that I've looked up to on TikTok for some time for his incredibly inspiring and thought-provoking sermons, Rabbi Josh Franklin. Josh, how are you doing today? You know, we, we get asked this question a lot lately, and it's almost kind of like the typical thing. You say, how, how are you doing? And the answer right now for most Jews in the world is... Not well. And I, I think it's important for us to be honest about that. So yeah, I'm not doing great. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm in pain. And uh, I like to say that I'm a lot of the time just teetering between anger and trying not to let myself get to a point of rage. But I'm not doing as well as I'd like to be doing. And quite often, I, I'm feeling less than myself. I'm sorry to hear that. And it's very relatable. Unfortunately, it's very true. I'll tell you that last week, I definitely feel like with the shock of everything that happened, I lost my way temporarily. And last week on Friday on Shabbat, I was actually in San Francisco. I just made a bunch of content that blew up about my trip to San Francisco and how I didn't feel safe wearing my kippah. But when I finally went into a shul and did Shabbat services, I ended up breaking down crying because I really had this cathartic moment, especially when the prayer Misha Berach came on because, you know, it's a prayer for healing. And I realized I was also saying the prayer for myself because I feel like this whole experience has sickened me in my core and I really lost my way. So I think that's a very relatable feeling. I think we're all, our, our, our current status is being compromised on a regular basis. And our constitution of what makes us the person that we are is being tested every single day. And that's, that's part of the fight. That's the, it's our own front line over here. Now there's a great line from Job and Job is playing a little bit on Psalms and Psalms. It says, you turn my morning into dancing, talking to God. Like I go from a place of mourning to dancing. And Job says, you turn my dancing into mourning. I'm, I'm really feeling that because Simcha Torah was supposed to be a day of dancing it and joy. And for all Jewish communities around the world, uh, Saturday, October 7th was not a day of joy and dancing. It was a day of trying to figure out how you can get some semblance of Simcha Torah, some semblance of joy amidst an immense amount of mourning. And it was really that day where my dancing was turned into mourning. I'm so sorry to hear that, Josh. Well, We do have a show to put on and we do have the four minute bad Jew challenge, which is telling your life story in four minutes. We're going to time you and we can't wait to really hear your story. And then we're going to get into the main meat of this episode. Are you ready? Let's do it. Excellent. Go for it. I am Rabbi Josh Franklin. I'm originally from Yonkers, New York, though the Jewish community that I grew up in was in Riverdale, Riverdale Temple. My father 
uh, was the rabbi there for many years. And uh, so I grew up as the son of a rabbi. My entire life, people would always ask me, are you going to be a rabbi just like your father? Are you going to be a rabbi just like your father? By the way, everyone always asks a rabbi, when did you know you wanted to be a rabbi? My story might be a little different because I always knew I didn't want to be a rabbi. I didn't want to be like my father because I didn't really have that Jewish community that was my own. It was my father's Jewish community. I went to Jewish summer camp. I traveled to Israel a number of times. I had a strong Jewish identity. Judaism has always been very important for me, but it wasn't my thing. It wasn't my calling. Um, but that question just kept on getting asked, do you want to be a rabbi? My answer was always no, of course not. It's not my thing. Uh, until I got to college and things changed a little bit, uh, I took a Jewish studies class, intro to Hebrew Bible 101. And I thought, oh, I'm going to ace this class. I know a lot about Judaism. And all of a sudden the class was difficult and challenging and engaging and was forcing me to confront Jewish issues and, and Torah issues that I, I never really thought about before through lenses that I'd never really seen. And I became engaged. So I took Intro to Hebrew Bible 102. I took this Jewish studies class, that Jewish studies class. I studied Hebrew. I went to Israel, did some time abroad. And all of a sudden, that question of, do you want to be a rabbi, started changing. Uh, the answer started changing. And uh, I realized that as much as I was trying to convince myself that I didn't want to be a rabbi, I had a calling. And it was time that I began to answer that particular calling. So uh, after college and a little grad school, I uh, went and enrolled in rabbinical school. I was ordained from Hebrew Union College in New York. My first year there, I met my wife when we were living in, uh, I was living in Jerusalem at the time. She was doing birthright, a mutual friend introduced us. We went out to dinner. And when I got back to the States about seven months later, we started dating. Now been married uh, 11 years, have two kids. I've served many pulpits uh, as a student rabbi from places like Williamsport, Pennsylvania, Beckley, West Virginia. And my first pulpit uh, as a rabbi was uh, at Temple Beth Elohim in Wellesley, Massachusetts. There for four years. About seven years ago, I came out to East Hampton to serve as the senior rabbi of the Jewish Center of the Hamptons. This is where I've been. Um, for the last seven years of my life. And uh, it's an amazing place to be a rabbi, an amazing place to, to live. Awesome. How'd I awesome. do with timing? You did great. You had about a minute left there. And uh, I think that that you told your life story very well. And I, I got to say, I can really very much relate to the to the kind of the moment where you really start to engage with your with your Judaism when you kind of you either hear that one singular thing or this uh, one concept kind of pierces your mind that you can't shake. And you have to keep on going down the rabbit hole and you have to keep on studying and searching. That's really how I felt on my last Israel trip to Israel just over a year ago now, you know, where I, I really feel like in those 10 days that I was out there, it was my third trip to Israel. So it was not birthright, but it was my, in, those, in those 10 days that I was there, I felt like I really learned more about Judaism then than I had in my entire life. It was really an incredible experience. And you can learn more about Rabbi Josh Franklin's uh, story on his website, uh, rabbijoshfranklin.com. But Rabbi, what's interesting is that this time has prompted all of us to start pulling out these books that I had never seen before. So even in my short time studying this, I had never heard of such a thing as Tehillim. In fact, when I heard the phrase Tehillim for the first time, I thought when I said group Tehillim, I thought to myself, oh, group Tefillin, they're all going to wrap Tefillin together. And I realized, wait, they spelled Tefillin wrong. And I'm like, no, it's not Tefillin, it's Tehillim. So I had never heard of Tehillim before. And with the wake of this conflict that 
Hamas started and the Islamic Jihad has started, we're starting to read these books that are not Sidarim, it's not the Torah. What exactly is Tehillim? Yeah, so Tehillim is part of the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. Tanakh stands for Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. Uh, Tehillim, or Psalms, comes uh, in the book of Ketuvim. It's 150 poems that capture the full range of human experience. That's one of the reasons why we're able to relate to so many of these uh, biblical poems. Um, and the poems range from everything, Ashrei Ha'ish, uh, what it means to live a meaningful life, to Me'amikim Karitiha Adonai, from the depths I call to you, O God, from being in places of despair to being into pla in places of searching, and then uh, concluding the last part of Psalms is uh, Psalms of Hallelujah, Psalms of joy and praise. In fact, Tehillim, Tehillim comes from the same root as the word Hallelujah, Hey Lamed Lamed, which means to praise. The word hallelujah uh, appears exclusively in the book of Psalms and the Hebrew Bible. So it speaks to, to that particular experience. And Tehillim has been, have been used liturgically for thousands of years as a part of uh, Jewish liturgy and Jewish prayer. Um, there's a number of different prayers that essentially incorporate uh, the particular Psalms as full prayers. So if you go to a Kabbalat Shabbat service on a Friday night at a synagogue, you'll notice that uh, Kabbalat Shabbat is comprised of psalms that lead up to Mari, that lead up to the evening service. Uh, there's other usages as well. Psalms are read over a dead body. There's a shomer, a person who guards a dead body and, and sings or recites uh, psalms over the body. Uh, Yemenite Jews read psalms all night long uh, before a bar mitzvah. There's a lot of interesting concepts and interesting theological concepts that we find in the book of Psalms, some of which are very comforting, some of which are very challenging. But what Psalms does is helps us to relate to experiences that might be going on in our lives because the psalmist or psalmists have all gone through various experiences and written about the emotions and written about the feelings about God uh, and what they're confronting in their own lives. So, for example, um, Psalm 137, Al-Naharot Babel, by the waters of Babylon, it uh, deals with the expulsion of the Jewish people from uh, Jerusalem in the year 586 BCE, and it, what it felt like to be in exile, what it felt like to be in captivity. And there's this rage that happens. We have the famous line in Psalm 137, Im if I forget you, Jerusalem, let me forget my right hand. It speaks to this connection that even when we're in exile, even when we're in captivity, we still have a longing to return to Jerusalem, to return to Zion, to Israel. But it also speaks to a very particular rage that the Jewish people experienced at that time as well. Really difficult line at the end of the Psalms that generally is not recited all the time. Um, Blessed be the one who seizes your babies and dashes them against the rock. It's talking about this experience of what happened to the Jewish people during the destruction of Jerusalem and the pouring out of emotion, anger, and rage, which I know many of us might be experiencing right now. Not necessarily, let's go do that, but this is how we're feeling. We're teetering on the edge in captivity. We're teetering on the edge in our point of emotional vulnerability. 
Um, you might find some of the Psalms cathartic in, in reading them. My father was in the hospital and I was just visiting him the other day. He was about to go into a, a major surgery. I started reading Psalms with him before he was going to go into surgery, Psalms for healing, but also uh, recited one of the rather famous Psalms, Psalm 23, which has the line which a lot of people know, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And it's a psalm that doesn't profess some complex theology about God. Like God is just and God does good things for good people and bad things for bad people, which are sometimes difficult to wrap our head around, especially when we're in trauma, trying to put reason to everything. It simply says in our periods of fear and anxiety and darkness, God is with us and God is present. And that's all that we really need. Fascinating. I You're connecting a lot of dots here. I actually didn't realize how many of these lines or phrases we've actually heard before from Tehillim and not actually known the origin of where it came from. When was Tehillim written? Was it written all at once or was it written over time? It's a great question. And the traditional answer is that uh, Psalms were written by King David. In fact, many of the Psalms have ascriptions to King David, Mizmor le David. Uh, Mizmor is some kind of a musical composition for David. There are Psalms for Moses, not clear if they're necessarily written by Moses. And then there's the Psalm that I mentioned, Psalm 137, which clearly takes place uh, many years after David, hundreds of years after David, many, many hundreds of years after Moses. Uh, my best guess is that different sections of Psalms were written by different authors at different time periods, though traditionally we say Psalms are from David. However, an, an important note is that there are 150 Psalms and that mathematical formula is, is very relevant because Psalms can be divided into five books and the reference to five books should be very clear, like the five books of Moses, the five books of the Torah. This is almost like the Torah of human experience that comes out through poetry. You know, it's almost like David's Torah that David is giving us. So even if it might not historically have been written by one person, the idea of attributing it to David, and it's almost like being David's Torah that David is giving us about uh, how we understand our connection to God and connection to life amidst the full range of human experience, it is really powerful. It is really powerful. Uh, and I think that that's an interesting concept for sure that you know, we've always heard of the five books of Moses. Here we have this nice parallel, the five books of David, if you will. And I can also imagine um, just just we'll do an episode about this in the future, about, you know, the the relation to it of gematria as well. And the numbers to the number study as well. Yeah, look, it's important to note that uh, we have 150 Psalms in the Hebrew Bible, but we actually know that there are more than 150 Psalms. We know this because when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they actually found 151st Psalm, 152nd Psalm, 153rd, and I think they found 154, 155 of the Psalms, and even Psalms that are unattributed with numbers. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the, the Bible, includes several of these particular Psalms that were found uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So wow. 100, why 150? It's because it's a nice number that's divisible by five into five books, which is which is really important for the experience of relating it to Torah. Got it, got it. 
Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm very, I, I, the Lost Psalms and the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, is definitely a rabbit hole I could definitely go off of. But in the interest of time, I want to hyper-focus on some of the psalms that you've hand-selected for our community and our listeners here. What psalms would you like to focus on? Yeah, I'm going to tell you one of my, my favorite psalms to turn to when I'm experiencing some kind of tragedy or some kind of crisis. The first thing that happens, uh, and I think the first question that a lot of people ask when something like what hap what's happening in Israel right now is happening, is they turn to theological questions. God, how could you? How could, how could this be happening to us? And God, where are you in all this? How can God exist in such a tragedy like this? And we question our faith and we question everything. And some people say, I'm a, I'm a bad Jew because I'm questioning God right now. And I actually, going back to the bad Jew theme, but no, I actually think it's part of what it means to be Jewish. Oh, absolutely. To have, to yeah. have doubts and to be searching for God amidst the darkness. And so I want to bring up uh, a psalm that I read quite often when I'm in that period of darkness and searching and to acknowledge the feelings of confusion and disorientation that I'm experiencing in whatever crisis I might be going through. So the psalm that I want to look at is Psalm 13. And it's a psalm that I recite often. The last line of this particular psalm uh, has a great musical rendition by uh, the artist Yonatan Rizal. I do encourage you to, to take a look at it. But uh, I'll, I'll read the psalm for you and I'll, I'll give you a translation as well. Uh, Psalm for the leader, for David. How long, God, will you ignore me forever? And that's going to be a refrain. How long? How long? How long are you going to hide your face from me, God? How long will I have cares on my mind and grief in my heart all day long? How long? Adana. Adana yarom oivai alai. How long are my enemies going to be about me? Hebita eni Adonai Elohai. Ha'ira enai pen ishan hamavet. Look at me and answer me, O God. And restore the luster to my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Penyo mar oivai, yechaltiv tsar i yagilu ki emot. Lest my enemies say that I have overcome him. And here comes the radical shift. We've been in this place of searching, of darkness, of desperation, of crisis, of disorientation. And when we're in that pit, it is so hard to be able to see past the other side. And this last line in the radical contrast and the radical transformation that's about to happen in spirit and attitude and emotion is what I grasp onto when I read this psalm. In your chesed, in your loving kindness, I trust, O God, and my heart rejoices in you rescuing me. Ashira Ladonai ki gamal alai. I'm going to sing to God because you have dealt graciously with me. How did we just get there? 
how do we get to that place of having trust in God's kindness and God's love for us? Why is our heart, how did it go from a place of being in utter destitute to rejoicing in God rescuing us? And it, it, it's a, it's probably the most radical contrast of emotion, the biggest roller coaster drop or swing up of emotion that we have in the entire book of Psalms. But I hold on to that radical transformation when I'm feeling in that dark place as a reminder that we will be able to get there, that God is going to get us out of this, and that one day and soon we're going to be singing God's praises and God's blessing for what God has given us. And I, I will say as well that, yeah, from a rational standpoint, look, reading that, it's it's definitely a head scratcher in the sense that, like you said, it takes a dramatic left turn out of nowhere, going from complete disappointment in God's inability to intervene to, but I'll still sing to you because I love you. And I was, as you were saying that I was, I was starting to search it myself and I was like, of course, God is, is, uh, is, you know, a lot of people will refer to Hashem as Abba sometimes like a father or as a mother. And being that it's a very parental role to be Hashem, that's very much what it's like to have your own parents. You get a very, uh, a big, a big, a great feeling of that where your parents might disappoint you or get under your skin or temporarily betray your trust, but you still love them very dramatically almost. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, it, it's that last line is the line that you say not in your joy, but you actually should be saying it in your grief, which is completely antithetical to the emotion that you're feeling. And right. the best example I can give of that in a modern context is the famous Leonard Cohen song, Hallelujah. And people often think it's a cheery and bright song. But uh, remember that great line in the song, even though it all went wrong, I stand before the Lord of song with nothing on my tongue but hallelujah. That's this hallelujah. That's this emotion right here. How yeah. can you offer praise when you are feeling completely broken? I mean... Yeah. That's wow. the cold and broken hallelujah that Leonard Cohen is talking about. And it's the very thing that I think the psalmist is offering us here as well. It's so easy to point up to the sky and say, hallelujah, when all goes right. It, it reminds me, you know, when uh, baseball players hit a home run and they always go looking up. Right. I'm like, that's easy. Thank God <laughs> when you hit a home run, great. I want to see them do that when they strike out. Can you say hallelujah when you strike out? Can you praise God when you are in the dumps? And that is what the psalmist is challenging us to do right here, to hold on to that feeling of trusting in God's love and God's kindness for us and that God's going to rescue us and getting to that place of singing God's praises and recognizing that God has given us a tremendous amount. Not an easy thing to do, but immense wisdom from Psalms. Wow. Wow. That's, an, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's, um, it's beautiful poetry too. Even just in the English translation, it, yeah. it really comes across and it really strikes a, a very unique condition of the human spirit. Yeah. There's a great, I mean, part of the line and the emphasis, how long will you forget me forever? And that last line, Netzach, not how long will you forget me, but how long will you forget me forever, is often 
the exact feeling of despair. That last word, netzach, touches my heart. Like, oh, it makes it sink. Like we are in such a period of desperation right now. It feels like it's going to be forever. The netzach, forever. But at the very end, you realize, no, no, it's not forever. You will get to that place where once again, you are able to experience joy, experience love, and experience faith. Amazing. What is another psalm that you personally feel is really relevant to the situation right now? Yeah, maybe I won't read the whole thing, um, but I do want to look at Psalm 27 for a second. Sure. Psalm 27, Le David, again, another psalm for David. Adonai ori v'yishi mimi'ira. Great line. God is my light and my rescue. Who shall I fear? Uh, um, God is uh, God is my strength from my life. Who who can I possibly fear? Which is such a a beautiful way to express faith. And you might think again, everything's good with the psalmist, uh, but the next line is going to tell you. And it can relate to, I think, an experience of what many people are feeling in Israel right now. And I'll say also what people are feeling in the United States as well, as they're surrounded by uh, hostility towards Jews and hostility towards Israel. Uh, when evildoers, when the evil people are drawing near to me to eat my flesh. Oof. Sari oivaili, hema kashlu v'naflu. They're gonna draw near to me, but my foes and my enemies, they're gonna eventually trip and fall. And though they've you know come out and marshaled a camp against me, my heart doesn't fear. Though battle has roused me, nonetheless, nonetheless, do I trust? That's that's really powerful right there. And I, I think just the, the reminder that a lot of us are, are going through this period of feeling surrounded, of feeling like we have this hostility all around us. And there's two options really, right? Can you, are you going to let the despair and the negativity and the hostility and the harassment and the hatred, are you going to let it bring you down? Or are you going to instead channel all of that negativity towards faith in God. Again, counterintuitive wisdom from the Psalms. When everything seems like it's against you and the world is against you and crushing you and surrounding you, can you direct your attention to uh, trust in God? Not easy, but I think right now in this period, and, and again, recognizing that we're going we're gonna to come out victorious. We're going to come out past this after this is all over. Um, that's one of the Psalms that I've been looking at and the Psalms that I've been reciting uh, through the current crises in Israel. These are Psalms, the last two that we looked at, are typically not a part of liturgy that you would find in the prayer book because they're just not co-opted by the, by the prayer book in the same kind of way that many of the Psalms are. But I think uh, in figuring out which Psalms work for us to give us guidance through the tumult and the turmoil that's going on, these two are incredibly help, helpful and also really bring us to a place of like thinking, is this psalm written for me? Is this psalm written for right now? And that shows that they are really timeless. 
and that the human emotions and the life cycle of experiences that we go through are timeless. And even something that's written over 2,000 years old, 2,000 years ago, can still be timeless and relevant and speak to us and offer us wisdom at that. It, it's pretty amazing how I, I've, I've, in this time, in these past couple of weeks, I've been seeing passages pop up in my life from Tehillim that, you know, were written again, like, 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 like you just said, were written thousands of years ago and feel like they were written yesterday. Yeah. And that's like one of the most bizarre, most uncanny experiences you can ever have as a Jew is looking into a text that was written thousands of years ago, years ago, and seeing that it's still relevant, you know, going all the way back to episode one of this podcast, we had a rabbi named Rabbi Benzion Klatsko who came on and he was insistent on doing this very unique concept of is Torah relevant. And on his episode, he, he begged to, he, he decided to change the question. He said, is it that Torah is relevant or is it that we are relevant? To the Torah. And it changed the perspective dramatically. And right now we are very relevant to the Torah. We have been put into this narrative, not by our own choice, but here is the helium, this text, this validation, a uh, secret weapon, a uh, source of healing for our people right now. It's, it's really incredible. Yeah. You know, I, I want to kind of pick up on something that you said, this, this is a secret weapon, right? But it's not the secret weapon against our enemies. It's the secret weapon that we have for coping with ourselves, for coping with the emotions that we're experiencing. And I think so often we're trying to fight an external enemy that we fail to actually address the emotional and spiritual issues that we ourselves are wrestling with. And we need to take care of ourselves emotionally and spiritually right now. And Psalms is a good, a, a good weapon or a good medicine in order to deal with that. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. What psalm would you like to end this podcast on? There's one psalm that uh, really, I feel, speaks to exactly what's going on in Israel and a hope for the future and an imagination of what it's going to be like when it's all over or what a lot of it's going to be like when it's all over. This actually is a psalm that is a part of the regular liturgy recited by Jews it's a part of, it's recited typically um, before Birkat Hamazon on Shabbat. It's Psalm 126. And the first line, very quickly, should be very relevant. Shir Hamalot Beshuv Adonai et Shiv Atzion Hayinu Kecholmim. So one of the songs of ascents. When God brought us back from captivity, uh, the captivity of Zion, we were like dreamers. And so automatically, I, my mind goes to the 199, uh, 199 hostages that are in Gaza right now and praying for them and feeling their pain and imagining what it's like to be there. If I was in Gaza right now, I would be thinking of this psalm, thinking of being rescued and thinking of returning from captivity. And then you have, Az our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with, with singing. Uh, um, and then uh, all the other nations of the world, they're going to say how great God is for doing what God did for us in this way. 
um, let's you know, magnify and bless God for all that God has done for us and, uh, and we are and will be extraordinarily sameach, happy. Bring back our captivity, O God, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Um, I'm getting a little choked up here about it. Um, he who goes uh, weeping on his way, bearing a bag of seed, shall come back with a joyful shout, carrying his sheaves. God willing, we will be in that place where our weeping turns into joy and where the, the tears that we're experiencing right now will birth something that's a blessing. And I don't know what that looks like right now, but when I read this psalm and those who sow in tears shall reap in joy, and we're talking particularly about the tears for the captives that we have and the people who are in pain and who are in suffering, um, I've got to believe that uh, there will be an other side to this, and the side will be the joy that comes when all this is over, when God willing, the captives are released, and things can turn to uh, to peace once again. I'm right there with you in the emotions, and you know, I th I think that the poem that we just read gives a very strong visual into this beautiful idea of a gate opening and people running free and people being rewarded like men in a dream. Right. And it's a beautiful idea and God, I hope it happens. I really do. I really hope that somehow we pull off a miracle that we can get our hostages back, our kidnapped back, these babies, these people of all ages, the senior citizens, even, even like, like the, they kidnapped Holocaust survivors. Yeah. They've been through enough. Yeah. Uh, so I just have this visual in my head of them coming out. I mean, it's, we were like dreamers or we're imagining it like all like a dream because it's so joyful. It's so amazing. And uh, we've got to hold on to that feeling of, of what it will be like when we are experiencing the joy, when when the captives are God willing released, and uh, when there is a cessation of the violence that's happening right now, and I, I should say that uh, it's not just a cessation of violence against Israel; it's a cessation of violence within Gaza. Um, my my tears are shed for not just the Israelis who have been killed and kidnapped, and it also goes out to the innocent uh, civilians in Gaza. Uh, and the, the immense amount of pain that they're suffering during uh, this time of turmoil and war. And I, I also want to take the opportunity to, you know, acknowledge the civilians across the world who are impacted by this. You know, Jews and Muslims across the world, uh, in America, in China, uh, in, in in Europe, they are targets. Racism has gone up, and I think something that, you know, Joe Biden said whether or not you agree with him politically, uh, I think it's really true is that all of hate is connected. 
that when you are hateful towards one minority, you are hateful towards all my marginalized groups. That's all connected. Yeah. We just saw it this week where, you know, not only have there been, you know, have there been efforts to vandalize and, you know, kill, you know, Jews and, and to vandalize their, their homes and their sacred places. But, you know, we just saw a Muslim boy uh, who was from Palestinian descent, descent. I think he was, he wasn't even 10 years old, stabbed 26 times. Yeah. And I reminded my community during uh, a rally that we had the other week in solidarity with, with Israel, that despite all this and despite feeling such a confluence of strong negative emotions from pain, sadness, and grief, one of the emotions that I don't feel and I don't think it's appropriate to feel is hatred. And I and some people are like, how could you not hate them? And the reason I choose not to hate is because I realize that hatred poisons us and it, it poisons our hearts. It's not a productive emotion to, to have. And so you can, you know, despise the actions that have taken place and you can be upset and angry and pissed. But um, when you hate other people, it creates that cycle of never ending violence and never ending hatred. And it's going to poison you. And I'd, I'd like to think that we can rise up above that and be better than that. And everyone who's listening to this episode, they should check out the last episode that we did as well with Rabbi Simon Jacobson because we talk about the importance of not being like our enemies and yeah. thanking God for not making us and designing us like our enemies and to rise above and to be better than. And it, especially right now, it's so important. We, you know, even in these trying times, it's still our duty to be a light unto nations. So let's be a light unto nations. Let's make this world the place we want to see it be. Let's practice Takun Olam together. I love I that. Think I, if there's any way I can end the podcast, it'd probably be that way. So I'll leave it at that. I'm going to say thank you so much for having me. It's been a real honor and a real pleasure. It's been great to have you here on the show. And, uh, you know, I, I, I very rarely get emotional like this on the show. And uh, you got it out of me. So great job. You did it, Rabbi. <laughs> I'll say the Psalms did it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening. Shalom. Sure.